0: Hello, and welcome to Plant Crimes, a podcast about the secret criminal life of your favorite house plant. I'm your host, Ellen Earhart. Today we're talking about an eight year long mystery in Big Bend, which is in West Texas. Someone or a group of people were stealing cactuses, and not just any cactuses. They stole living rock cactuses, a slow growing species that can only live in very particular habitats. That combination of traits means they're really vulnerable to poaching since they can't easily regrow and multiply. Here's Al Barris, a public affairs specialist at the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service, who covered the case.
1: For people that are familiar with what peyote looks like it looks a lot like that it's just this tiny little squat plant that looks like a rock it grows basically at the level of the ground Uh, it doesn't have any spines like peyote they're the only group of cactuses that don't have thorns and it has uh, hallucinogenic alkaloids that have been used traditionally I can certainly understand why people like to keep it as a pet plant because it's fuzzy. It's kind of cute, it has a beautiful flower. It doesn't require a lot of attention. They travel pretty easily. A line that I read was that they're neglectable and instantly grammable, <laughs> they, they're very photogenic, and they live a really long time. The reason why it's protected is because of where it grows it's just a very specific elevation, and the soil conditions, it likes, I think it's that limestone that it really likes, and it basically just grows there in the Big Bend region, not only in Big Bend region of Texas, but also on the other side of the border of Mexico. And where it does grow, it's very prolific, so it's very prodigious. So what people are doing is they'll go to an area where they'll find a big grove of them, big grouping, and they'll just harvest all of them. And they take decades, at least 10 years to reach breeding age. So yeah, that's why they're protected is because they can just wipe them out. And you may have just wiped out a subspecies. We don't know. And it is legal to sell them within the United States, but they can't be transported across
2: international boundaries.
0: I really wish I could have gone to Big Bend this year to report on the cactuses, but the pandemic kept me California bound. Here's how Barris describes the national park.
1: It's pretty hot, about 110 or something like that. When I went down there in the summertime, I thought it was very beautiful. It was probably the most beautiful part of Texas I've ever seen. I was kind of surprised that Texas had such lovely mountains. It's interesting because it's right on an international border. I really think it's Texas's best-kept secret. It's it's kind of off the beaten path, and it's just lovely. I'm very glad that they designated it as a national park it has some unique flora and fauna, such as that species of living rock cactus. Yeah, it's pretty dry. Great to go there in the wintertime, but in the warmer part of the year, it's a little difficult.
0: <laughs> this case took a special team of members from many different agencies. The U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service, Homeland Security Investigations, the U.S. Department of Environmental Crimes Unit, the U.S. Postal Service, the National Park Service, Texas Parks and Wildlife, and Sewell-Ross State University. Special Agent Eric Jumper led the investigation. There's not a great system in place for handling environmental crimes like this. Jumper had to deal with a lot of paperwork and persuade his superiors that the survival of the species was at stake in order to begin work on the case.
2: We also had to, for lack of a better term, convince or sell it to the U.S. Attorney's Office just to make them understand the importance of the investigation and and why this is potentially a problem for the survival of the plant.
0: The investigation started when local plant groups started alerting the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service that they were noticing gaps in the places where the living rock cactuses usually sat. These plants grow in big groups, so it's pretty easy to spot when they're missing. It's like a mouth with bare spaces where the teeth should be.
2: Initially, we started getting tips from different succulent societies that heard information regarding the collecting and selling of these plants. And then along with that, uh, one of our partners, the USDA, he noticed one particular person who was selling a lot of cactus and he it just stood out to him and he made it known to us. I didn't know that they were related. The Succulent Society report and then this USDA report, that's what got us looking at it initially.
0: The investigation grew about as quickly as a living rock cactus.
2: Well, it was a slow, slow grind there. First of all, we needed to know exactly what was being shipped. We started to try to figure out how to do that. Then we wanted to try to track down where they were collecting them. Obviously, you can look at a lot of plants that are being sold and know that they're not being propagated they're from the wild, just by the appearance. At some point, we started focusing on the living rock cactus, the area of Poppies fisheratus. That led us to West Texas. It only occurs in the wild in West Texas and northern Mexico. That was our focus, and that took quite a while to try to track all that down. And, And we were lucky enough to be getting tips along the way of who may be collecting them and who may be selling them to the people who are selling them overseas. Uh, It was just a matter of tracking all that down. With a little bit of luck and time, we were able to do it.
0: Jumper is not a trained botanist, but he had to learn to tell the difference between cactuses that grow in the wild and those propagated in captivity.
2: Anything of any size has been an old plant. It takes this plant a decade just to become mature. So anything of a size, it wouldn't make sense to propagate it. It just takes too long. A propagated plant is going to be less rugged, smoother, just looks like it's been out of a lab, as opposed to something that's been out in a while. I'm in no way an expert on cactus, but after a while and after talking to people who are experts, it doesn't take long to start seeing the different signs of a wild plant versus something that's propagated.
0: Jumper said that he started to make progress with evidence from wildlife inspectors at airports in Chicago and Seattle. When
2: we were able to focus on a few subjects and then intercept some packages that were leaving the country and actually see what's in the package and see how they were labeled, how they were being shipped, that was the biggest break of the whole thing. And that was the first interception by our wildlife inspectors out of Chicago. It may have been Seattle, but they were leaving the country from one of those two ports.
0: And so that inspector was able to identify the living rock cactuses, and he knew that y'all were keeping your eye out for those?
2: We were able to focus on a couple subjects and then attempt to intercept those packages from those subjects. And then once we got inside the packages, that gave us all the information. That was you know, our first bit of real evidence that these were being shipped illegally.
0: I wanted to hear more about the process of intercepting plants as they move in and out of the U.S., So I reached out to APHIS, the Animal and Plant Health Inspection Service, and they put me in contact with Louis Volpe. He's one of those people who low-key has a huge impact on our lives because he protects the safety of our food supply.
3: Yes, my name is Louis Volpe, and I am the South Florida Area Director for Animal and Plant Health Inspection Services, Plant Protection and Quarantine for the USDA, United States Department of Agriculture.
0: Bay works at the Miami Plant Inspection Station, the busiest in the U.S.
3: Okay, well, the Miami Plant Inspection Station is the largest, most productive inspection station of the 16 in the nation. So when we're fully staffed here, between here and Port Everglades, which is part of my work unit, uh, we'll have 92 people. We are the largest staff of all the 16 inspection stations in the nation.
0: They inspect over a billion plants a year. First, the plants are flagged by Custom and Border Patrol, then they go to the plant inspection station.
3: Our Customs and Border Protection Agriculture, they're the ones on the front line that are receiving the fruits and vegetables and some other materials, tile, machinery, things like that. They do the initial inspections of those materials. And when a pest is found or a disease or something like that, those Interceptions come to us, so we do the identification of those for them. So that's fruits, vegetables, cut flowers. Now, propagative material, that's stuff that's going to be planted, grown out, nursery landscape use, that's the material that comes directly to us. So CBP authorizes that to move directly to the inspection station, and we do the inspections on material like that, and then material that's going to be re-exported, stuff that's either domestic or foreign that's going to, again, like I mentioned earlier, going to a, another country somewhere else in the world.
0: The Miami Plant Inspection Station deals with all kinds of plants coming into the United States.
3: We do both, uh, I guess you would say, private stuff and, com- you know, 90 of our stuff is commercial plant importations for large retail or wholesale nurseries throughout the country uh, that propagated materials coming in to be grown to then be sold either wholesale or retail. But we do also uh, process private people's plant material that are coming in or importing small lots of things Plants and seeds. So we do that, but the vast majority of our stuff is commercial.
0: I also spoke to Leo Castaneda, the botanist at the Miami Plant Inspection Station. He has a hard job. Basically, he has to be able to identify every plant in the world. So I was hoping to talk to you a little bit about specifics, kind of what species you're dealing with the most, any interesting things that you see on a daily basis. Do you want to start there?
4: Mostly, we deal a lot with orchids that come from all over the world, and we also deal with aloes. All of these plants are endangered species. We also deal with a lot of cactus from many parts of the world. And there's also tropical foliage, and tropical foliage mainly comes from Central America and even China now. We have over a billion plants every year that we actually inspect here at the inspection station. Every day is something new. 'Cause this inspection station is the largest in the US. Therefore we get plants from all over the world and something new comes in every day.
0: What new thing did you see today or this week?
4: This week we have orchids from Thailand that are coming in. These are vandas that are sold here at many orchid shows. Some of these are new species that come in, not new species but new hybrids. So this is one of the things that we love this week, new hybrids of vandas.
0: Very cool. And have you ever caught any big, like, orchid crimes or anything?
4: Oh, yes. Especially orchid smugglers. We've caught many of them. You know, we usually uh, seize the shipment and send it to a rescue center. When a shipment comes in, all the paperwork has to match. And also, all the paperwork has to match the shipment. If the paperwork says it's artificially propagated, once we look at the plants, the plants have to be artificially propagated. They cannot look like they were taken out of the jungle or something like that.
0: I remembered that Special Agent Eric Jumper had to learn to tell plants grown in the wild from plants cultivated in a lab or a greenhouse. I asked Castaneda about this. And how do you recognize if a plant was taken from the wild?
4: It's the way that the plant looks. Usually plants are coming from the jungle, they're dehydrated. They have insect damage. They usually cut off the roots. So that you can't tell that they were growing you know, on the trees. And when you have something that is artificially, artificially propagated, they're all uniform. They don't have insect damage. They don't have diseases on them. You know, They are look artificially propagated.
0: <laughs> Two episodes ago, we discussed how the internet makes it easier to buy plants illegally. I asked Volpe if these platforms make his job harder. Do you think the ubiquitousness of being able to buy things online, just like plants off Amazon and things like that, has increased the amount of things that you're processing?
3: No, not really. There's a little bit more mail interceptions that are processed, I, I think. But it's kind of leveled off. Maybe a couple of years ago that would have been the case. I think it's leveled off now. It's just part of the billions that we're doing. It's just there. It's our new way of living. You know, <laughs> click, 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 and you can get anything you want. We've kind of adapted to it. It's it's leveled off. Yeah, it's just part of doing business nowadays.
0: Officers estimate that the culprits ended up taking anywhere from 10,000 to 15,000 plants from Big Bend. Honestly, to me, that sounds like a logistical nightmare. The thieves did not treat these cactuses carefully. They loaded them into plastic bags where they quickly rotted. Then the smugglers distributed them in Chicago and Seattle. Jumper says the cactus burglars sold their wares on eBay, which you know if you listen to the first episode of the season is all too easy to do.
2: First of all, they would find in West Texas and then they would gather their clientele using eBay. And, you know, most of them went eventually away from eBay and went to private sales after they built the clientele. Logistically, it doesn't take much to build their business because the desire from other parts of the world is insatiable. You cannot get enough of these plants out of North America. It's amazing to know the amount of people who want North American cactus or plant, period, but cactus specifically. We both could say that the majority of Americans don't know anything about the living like cactus or never even heard of it, yet the world does. So once they built their clientele, then they couldn't ship them fast enough.
0: Jumper and the rest of the people working on the case were able to get some closure in the end.
2: But this was a real tough situation because these were remote areas. a lot of wide open spaces. So just monitoring these groups was a challenge. And and then once we were able to intercept a certain number of packages from the subjects and then obtain certain... Records showing the number of transactions that have been made we felt comfortable enough to go and get search warrants on the property and that's what we were able to see a lot of the plans and you found plants there on their properties i think the last update did not have any at his house but everyone else had them ready to ship their full throttle business i mean there was a several several hundreds that were intercepted also and to be honest we never intercepted enough to alarm them. it was just kind of the price of doing business they were labeling them, all sorts of different things. But we did our warrants, and it was pretty much done then because there was so much evidence that there was no reason a person would have tried to fight it.
0: The six smugglers will serve 16 years of probation, and they were ordered to pay more than $135,000 in fines and restitution, and also forfeit a bunch of cactuses and firearms. These plants were protected by CITES, an international agreement that is enforced in the United States by the Endangered Species Act. The maximum sentence for violating the ESA is a Class D misdemeanor, with six months imprisonment and a $25,000 fine. The fines for the Lacey Act can cost up to $100,000 for individuals. However, many wildlife smugglers are prosecuted under more general smuggling and money laundering laws. The cactus smugglers face a combination of charges under these laws and regulations.
2: These plants are actually protected by the Endangered Species Act there's a treaty within the endangered species act called CITES, the Convention on International Trade of Endangered Species, T-I-T-E-S, and most people call it CITES. CITES classifies almost all animals and plants into three different categories, Appendix 1, Appendix 2, and Appendix 3. Appendix 1 being the most protected. And these uh, living life categories are Appendix 1, meaning that the the international movement is prohibited. The only way you could do that legally would be for scientific or educational purposes, mostly scientific. You enter into commerce with this appendix one plant after violation of U.S. law, of course. And mm-hmm. where the Lacey Act comes in, I'll explain the Lacey Act first. The Lacey Act is a law that prohibits the movement of any animal or plant that is taken in violation of any state, federal, tribal, or foreign law. So. If you're violating a law in the U.S. and then move that plant, then it enacts the Lacey Act. And also, the Lacey Act has a false labeling provision in it. And so if you're shipping the item with false labeling, it kind of works like smuggling. It's just another violation of the law. And that's what most of these people were convicted on, in this case, on the false labeling aspect of the Lacey Act.
0: In the cactus smuggling world, it seems like this case actually made at least a little bit of a difference. Barra says it's not as easy to find living rock cactuses on the internet anymore.
1: Kind of the bow that we wrapped on this is that since this has been prosecuted, it's driving the market underground. It's not happening as much. Used to be you could go onto eBay and find these things and you can't anymore. You can sell the seeds, but you won't find the cactuses for sale. And by doing stories like this, we're helping to get the word out there. I mean, there's some very passionate collectors that believe in, that the species need to be preserved in the wild as well. And so when they see something for sale, they say, hey, you shouldn't sell that. That's against the law. That's what our hope is, is that we get these communities to police themselves.
0: However, while these cactus smugglers are probably not going to try again anytime soon, most plant traffickers face fines that don't put a dent in the money they make. And that's only when they're caught.
2: Say with the money that is available, there has to be some kind of penalty. No one got jail time in our subjects, but they all received substantial fines. And at least for these groups, they probably won't be doing it any further. But like I've said a couple times already, the money is so good, there's going to be others trying to think of other ways to get it done.
0: Thank you to Rose Eveleth for sending me the press release that started the story and Nikki Duong for the art. You can find out more about my writing projects by following me on Twitter at Ellen Earhart. If you like this podcast, you can support me on Patreon. There's a link in the show notes. Most of all, thanks for listening.